This is the Living Homegrown Podcast, episode number 69. Welcome to the Living Homegrown Podcast, where it's all about how to live farm fresh without the farm. To help guide the way to a more flavorful and sustainable lifestyle is your host, national PBS TV producer and canning expert, Teresa Lowe. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Living Homegrown Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lowe, and this podcast is where we talk about living farm fresh without the farm. And that can mean preserving, fermenting, small space food growing, and just taking small steps towards living a more sustainable lifestyle. All the different ways that we can live closer to our food, even if we have little or no garden space at all. If you want to learn more about any of these topics or my online canning academy, then just visit my website, livinghomegrown.com. Today, I'm interviewing garden writer and blogger Dee Nash, and we're going to talk about beginning gardening and what you have to do if you want to grow your own food and you have no garden space, or in other words, what you need to start growing food in containers. And Dee is a perfect person to talk about this. She gardens in Oklahoma, and she blogs over at reddirtramblings.com. She's gardened her entire life, and she actually comes from a whole family of gardeners, and she's really passionate about sharing her gardening knowledge with brand newbie gardeners. She really wants to make sure that people continue to get their hands dirty in the soil. And she's gardened with all of her kids. She has four kids. And she recently wrote a book called The 20 to 30-something Gardener Guide. It's a no-fuss, down-and-dirty gardening 101 for anyone who wants to grow stuff. And that's the subtitle, anyone who wants to grow stuff. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to be a 20 to 30-year-old to glean information from this book. The minute I picked it up, it was really obvious that anyone of any age who wants a no-fuss gardening 101 starting point would get a lot out of this book. And that's why I wanted to have Dee on the show today. Now, Dee has been writing about gardening for years and years, and she not only writes two different gardening blogs, she also writes for numerous publications, including Organic Gardening, Fine Gardening Magazine, Oklahoma Gardening Magazine, and many, many more. And her blog, Red Dirt Ramblings, has also won several awards, including the Garden Writers Association Gold Award for Best Electronic Writing in 2014. Now, in the interview today, when I had Dee on and we were setting up for the interview, you may notice when you're listening that there's some background noises occasionally, and we actually had some technical difficulties with Dee's headset microphone when we went to set up to record. Now, I did something that I don't normally do, and that is that we went ahead and we recorded Dee using a computer microphone. And the biggest downside of this is that you'll hear her clock chiming in the background, which isn't a big deal, but you'll also hear when other members of her household made a little bit of noise in the background. I just went with it because I wanted to capture this interview. We had a lot of trouble getting our schedules together, and I thought it was much more important for you guys to get this really valuable information with just a few blips of background noise than it would be to not have any recording at all. But I did want to apologize for the distraction. It's really very minor. There's just a couple spots you might hear it. But I wanted to explain because I don't normally have those kind of sounds in my recordings. 
So in this episode, Dee will go over exactly what tools and equipment you need to get started if you want to garden in containers, if you want to specifically grow food in containers. And as always, I'll have links for further information in the show notes for the episode, and that'll be at livinghomegrown.com slash 69. So here's my interview with Dee Nash of Red Dirt Ramblings. Hey, Dee, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Sure. Well, I, I'm very excited about this because a lot of my listeners and people who read my blog are really beginners, total, total beginners. And I know that your book and even some of the things that you write on your blog are really geared towards beginners. So before we dive into the topic, I'd love for you to give everybody a little bit more background on you because I know you come from a long line of gardeners, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, my parents didn't really garden, but both sets of grandparents were big gardeners and they did it all through the depression because, you know, they needed to eat and that people who gardened through the depression ate a lot better than people who had to live in cities because back then urban gardening wasn't a thing. So my grandma Nita was my biggest inspiration. And I remember toddling behind her when I was wearing baby shoes. So I must've been really young. Wow. You remember all the way back to that. That's pretty cool. I do. I remember walking. I remember the reason I remember it is because my little white shoes, you know, we all wore those little white yep. shoes. Mm -hmm. They were against that deep black soil she had. Ah. And I remember looking down at them and some other things she told me about bugs and insects and stuff like that. So did you actually help her in the garden while you were growing up? I did help her a lot because we didn't live real close, but we visited quite often. And so I would go out there with her and she'd let me harvest with her. So I got to see asparagus growing and tomatoes growing on the vine and then she, I remember talking about cabbage moths in particular because I thought they were really pretty little butterflies. And she showed me the, the worm or caterpillar. I guess it's really a worm because it's a moth. And she would show me those and say that these weren't good. And so I remember talking about good bugs, bad bugs. Ah, well, you were so lucky to have a mentor that way to, to teach you. And so many people want to learn and they don't, they don't have someone like that. So is that one of the reasons why you wanted to write your book, The 2030-something Garden Guide? That's exactly why I wrote the book. All of my children, except for the youngest, are 2030-somethings. And I would see their friends come over, and we have chickens just like you do. Mm -hmm. And so they would be so excited to gather the eggs or so excited about the plants. And I realized that, that we had a whole generation that didn't have garden mentors the way I had garden mentors. And so even though I was teaching my own kids, I wanted to teach other people too. I wanted to leave a legacy, even if it's a small legacy. I think that's really awesome. And you're so right. I noticed that with my own kids' friends that people didn't understand where tomatoes came from. You know, they just thought they came from the store. And it's it's really amazing. So that's that. And so you pick that age group because that's the age of your own children. Yes, all of my children are millennials. I have one child that's 39. I didn't give birth to her, but she's still my child. And then I have one that's 23 now, one that's 21, and then I have one that's 17. So the 17-year-old, I think, is part of Generation Z, but the rest of them are all millennials. I wanted to help millennials because if we don't pass on gardening to the next generation, there won't be any gardeners. That's right. That's right. Do they all love, love to garden? Do they all try to do it themselves? 
I wouldn't say they all love to garden. The first one's in love with horses, so she does horses. But <laughs> the one, the one that I didn't think would garden at all, she's a big gardener. She she's got a. I helped her develop a bed this year, and um, she did hanging plants. I mean, she really got into it. Well, I think that brings up a really good point that there's a lot of advantages to starting small. You don't have to start really, really big. And that's one thing that you definitely get across in your book, that if you want to start, you don't have to have acreage. You can start with even a small little garden. So, So what are some of the advantages of starting small or growing just a little bit of our food? Well, first, it tastes better. As you know, stuff that you grow in your own garden, it tastes better than anything you can buy in the store and even things that you can buy at the farmer's market. Because when you walk out your back door and or your front door and you grab a tomato off the vine or a strawberry plant, a strawberry off a strawberry plant or a raspberry and you eat it standing right there, there's nothing that tastes like that. And so that's the first thing. The other thing is that no one can imitate the freshness and taste of a homegrown tomato. So the only thing that you can get close to your homegrown tomato is going and buying at a farmer's market. And I highly encourage people to do that because I think farmer's markets are wonderful. But the other thing is you can try new varieties of plants. You know, think about it. You can grow fava beans, for example, and you never see fava beans in the store. At least I don't do here. I don't see them here. No, no. And the other th- yeah. That I, yeah. Fava beans are amazing. Yeah. So, you know, and really fresh herbs, the herbs, even if they're fresh in the grocery store, they're not like walking out there and just snipping off some thyme or some sage. There's just nothing like it. No, exactly. I think flavor is a huge reason and it gives you a lot of satisfaction. And, and when you start out small, you won't get overwhelmed. You know, you just take little baby steps and each year you can grow a little bit more and a little bit more. You don't have to, you don't have to have a lot of space. So that's, that's exactly right. That's something I've had to do with Megan, my daughter that started really gardening this year. I've had to say, you know, slow down, don't overwhelm yourself. And I've let her make some mistakes because, you know, you've got to make your own mistakes. But at the same time, I try to guide her. But not, but more like a coach and less like her mother. <laughs> yeah, that's probably better for both of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's so true. Uh, you can you can take the fun out of it if you get going too too big too fast. And I know a lot of people do that. They think that they need to really really start growing a whole bunch of rows of food, and you don't. You you can learn so much from just a few pots. And so we're gonna talk a lot about container gardening and small space gardening today. But uh, one of the things that I really liked in your book was that you talk about some of the tools that a beginner gardener should have or could have. And it didn't matter if they are just doing containers or just a small space. You have a list of what you think the essential tools are. So could you talk about some of the tools that you think we should start with? Well, of course, you need a trowel because you got to be able to dig into the potting soil. And I think I like gloves because, I mean, it's up to you. But if you like to fill the soil under your fingernails, I think that's fine, too. Um, A five-gallon bucket is my favorite carry-all. And I have this carry-on that goes around the five-gallon bucket where you stick your tools down into it. Um, It's called a bucket caddy. And then also you need markers or tags. And you need a Sharpie to write on with. Just remember that a Sharpie isn't going to last more than one season. I think people get disappointed in that, but the sun fades it. So, and if you really get into things and you're totally into it, maybe a waterproof journal to keep track of what you're growing. But if you're starting small with three or four pots, you won't need that yet. 
Oh, I love the idea of a waterproof journal. That's that's a great idea. Yeah. I actually learned that in a talk from a lady who was in the audience. She was a great gardener and she told me and I was like, oh, that's the best idea ever. So yeah. you can get them off of Amazon. That's fantastic. Well, that's so funny about the uh, five gallon bucket thing with the caddy. I have exactly the same thing. And I've tried so many other little garden tool holders, but I always go back to the bucket because it holds so much. Me too. Yeah. It just, it holds a lot. And all those little pockets, you can stick everything you need in there and you don't have to keep running back to, you know, the garden shed to go get something. The, they hold a lot. They can hold uh, the clippers. They can hold your tags, your your pens. They can hold twine, little twist ties, everything. You can- Scissors. And, you've always got to have scissors. You always have to have because scissors. Because you've the twine and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I'm a glove person too. I, I've tried lots of different gloves. There's lots of gloves that really- Really give you the feel they're very thin but I've had too many thorns in my fingers or things uh, jam up my fingernails for, that I now wear gloves and I know a lot of people don't like to wear gloves I'm I'm a glove person myself but it's to each his own I guess I've become a glove person I wasn't in the beginning but one time I got bitten by an assassin bug when I was pulling some grass Ooh. out of the garden and that was kind of the day I said okay I'm done because it hurt Ooh, yeah I haven't yeah I, I, thorns assassin bugs blister beetles <laughs> I mean I don't want to scare people <laughs> there are critters in the bar garden and if you accidentally squish one it yeah. might bite you yeah yeah exactly yeah I, I'm um, I'm actually allergic to bees but I garden around bees all the time and I have only been stung by a wasp and that was because I put my hand around it and squished it. That's something we should talk about since we brought up bugs. Yeah. No interest in you. Exactly. They're they're really yeah, they're they're so busy with what they're doing. I I garden right in the middle of the bees and I've never been stung by a bee who's just you know want the only time I've ever been stung by a bee was when I accidentally did something to it. So uh, that's, that's, yeah, it's not even an issue. They're too busy. You're exactly right. They're, they have a job to do and they don't really care what we're up to. Well, and if we remember that bugs only sting when they're guarding their nests, that's the only time I've ever been stung. Um, I've never been stung because I was out working in the garden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so now if someone only has a small patio or, or even just a balcony, they don't really have any garden space to speak of, then how would you suggest that they get started if they want to grow food? Well, I think the easy way, easiest way to get started is to start with containers. In the book, I do go into a lot of detail, especially about balconies, because there's some complicated parts about that, because you want to make sure that you don't overweigh your balcony and stuff like that. But the easiest thing is to get three or four pots. I suggest you get plastic pots because plastic pots are lightweight. And if you're going to have to carry them up the stairs, that's important. And I did a bunch of research when I wrote the book. There's nothing that shows that plastic will get into your food. I know people worry about that, but it's something to do with the cells. They aren't big. They're too big to get into the water and get into your food. That's what they've found so far. So you don't have to worry about that if you're trying to grow organically. And then you're going to need potting soil and a little bit of organic fertilizer and water. And you need to think about how you're gonna water the plants before you ever take those plants home. Ah, good point, yes, because uh, if you're having to walk up several flights of stairs and with you know lugging a big thing of water, that could be an issue of how much you really wanna grow up there. Well, the truth of the matter is you won't, you won't water in the summer. You'll get tired and you'll quit. So 
One of the best things to do is to either, if you have an outside faucet, go ahead and attach a hose to it and a spray wand and then you'll be ready. Or you can set up drip irrigation once you get a little bit of, you know, success under your belt. And then if you don't have an outside faucet, like in an apartment situation, there are adapters that will fit onto your kitchen sink and you can actually, you know, hook your hose up to your sink. Or you can hand water with a watering can. But where I live, I, try, I live in such a hot climate, which is Oklahoma, I try to make watering really simple. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. If it's too hard to do, you'll skip it. And boy, if you're in a hot climate, it doesn't take much and you'll end up losing your plants. So absolutely making it simple. That's a great, great tip. What about figuring out your lighting that you need? Uh, I know on a patio, you might get enough light, but how would someone assess if they have enough light on their balcony? Well, for one thing, it depends on which way your balcony or your patio faces. Most of those patios and balconies are covered because they want you to be able to go out there and enjoy, you know, your time. But you need to know which way it faces. If it faces east, you're going to get morning sun. If it faces west, you're going to get afternoon sun. Southwest is just hot. So, you know, you may, you may have trouble growing vegetables on a southwest exposure. You want to put, especially with anything that has an overhang, you want to put your pots close to the edge so they'll get as much sun as possible. And, of course, morning sun is always best. Vegetables need six to eight hours of sun a day, and you need to factor that in. Now, what you'll read in a lot of books is that you need to do a sun map. And they want you to wait a whole season before you grow anything. But I've never known anybody in spring who has spring fever who's willing to wait a whole year. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm not. And no. I'm as bad as anybody about picking up stuff and going, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I don't even know where I'm going to put it. So yeah. it happens to us all. Yeah. So I don't expect you to make a sun map. Just know which way you're your property faces, and also look at it in the morning and afternoon and see where the sun actually shines. You know, think about it a little bit. And it will shine differently in the spring than it does in summer because, yeah. of course, we move around the sun. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, that's a great point, too, because you, I would hate to have someone not grow something as they're waiting to map out the sun. I would much rather have them give it a shot and fail than to not have tried at all. Oh, yeah. I used to read those books when I was young and starting out. And I'd think to myself, well, if I wait that long, I won't do it. And so yeah. instead, I would just do it. And you know what? We all fail. It's just part of the normal part of gardening. Yes, that's a great point. We all fail, even people who have been gardening their whole lives. We all have failures, and that's totally normal. And it's just a plant, and you can try again next time or try something different next time. And also, you said in your book, I remember reading somewhere that you said, don't forget that you can you can pick up and move those pots. You know, if they're, if they're not doing um, well in one spot, you can move them. Another good reason to have a lightweight container is so that you can move stuff around. So maybe you'll have one type of plant that doesn't, like lettuce. Lettuce doesn't need as much sun as a tomato. So you figure out pretty quickly that, okay, my lettuce, you know, can have a little more shade than the tomato or corn plant if you decide to try corn in containers. And God bless you if you do. But <laughs> people do people do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're going to do that, then you kind of watch, first of all, know what your plant needs. 
you know, that part you should read up on. And I wrote about it in my book, and I'm sure you read about it on your blog too, about different sun needs for different plants. Yes, exactly. Well, I think your book's a great source for that. And you know, the, it's funny about the growing things, growing corn in containers. I was always one of those gardeners who was like, huh, well, if they say it's hard to do, then I want to try it. You know, I would, I, yeah, so absolutely, I think people should give it a shot. And it's, it's fun to just even try. We grew popcorn one year, my kids and I, and they still talk about that year that we grew. We didn't grow it in containers, but in a very, very small little corner of our yard. And they had more fun popping that popcorn. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a cool thing to do. I feel that way about the jewel corn that we grew, not this year, but last year. We brought in all the ears, and actually popcorn and jewel corn are easier to grow, as you know, than yes. sweet corn. So we brought all those in, and we just had so much fun taking those dried kernels off the cob, and the kids loved it. Yeah, if people aren't familiar with jewel corn, it really looks like jewels. It looks like fake corn. It's so beautiful. Different colors. When we're talking about containers, and I love what you said about the plastic, that's a really good point that people don't have to worry about it leaching into their plants and their plants soaking that up in the roots. So the plastic is not a problem. It's okay to use plastic. Is there a certain size that people should go for if they're wanting to grow food? Yeah, the size of your pot is all about the roots. It's not so much what it grows above the ground, but it's what grows under the ground. And so tomatoes, um, squash, peppers, they need nice large containers about the size of a five gallon bucket. So think about a five gallon bucket when you're choosing containers or use a five gallon bucket, but be sure to drill holes in it first. And then other plants like lettuce, spinach, you know, leafy greens, they have real small roots. And so they don't need as much space and you can grow them in a much more shallow container. Great. Yes. You could probably even grow those in like a window box and they would do really well. Oh, definitely. You could definitely grow them in a window box. Yeah. Okay, great. Wouldn't that be pretty? I think that'd, that'd be, be so, so pretty. pretty. Yeah. That's the thing about lettuces that I think if you're a beginner gardener, you don't realize. Just go to any seed catalog and look for lettuce. And the colors and the sizes and the shapes, you can do some really beautiful things. It's pretty awesome. And beautiful colors. Yeah, really nice. And so now let's talk about potting soil a little bit. Can you uh, explain what people should look for? If they're a beginner gardener and they go to the nursery and they, they're doing containers, what should they look for in a potting soil? Okay, main thing is don't use garden soil out of, your gar out of a garden. I, uh, people, you, you might be surprised if you've gardened for a while that people make that mistake, but that's one of the most common mistakes that people make. I get questions about it a lot. Potting soil is made up of, um, in fact, sometimes it's called soilless mix because the largest ingredient in potting soil is either coir or peat moss, and then they add in other things too, like compost or shredded bark. There are different things that companies add into it. One of the things I look for in a potting soil, my favorite potting soil is one made by my local nursery. You know, they you can make your own potting soil, but that's a lot of work. So I just go to my local nursery and I buy their store brand of potting soil. It's all organic. And so I know there's nothing in it. Um, I don't want to eat chemicals with my food. I could do that from the grocery store. Right. And so I garden organically. And I think vegetable gardening, especially, I'd garden, I would garden organically. So 
I wouldn't necessarily go for a name brand potting soil, even if it's organic, because what I've seen, because I've looked at some of them and I've used them in the past and they have a lot of bark and other large matter in there. And I tend to like the potting soil that my local nursery puts together. And it, I have like three or four local nurseries and they all do a really good potting soil and it's what they grow their own plants in. So I know if they're going to use it for their plants, then it's probably good enough for my plants. Good tip. Yes. And so when you're looking, you want to look for something, should it necessarily say potting soil on it? Or it could say soil, soilless mix, right? That either way. Right. Potting soil, soilless mix. And right now I've noticed in some of the box stores that one of the name brands, and I'm not mentioning names, I'm just saying one of the name brands has a true garden soil. Don't pick up that one because it's a much heavier mix and it's truly made for your garden, not for your containers. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just made for a garden bed, right. which is a whole different thing. Yes. And it's going to be heavier and you want something lightweight. Yes. You'll notice when you go to pick up the bag <laughs> because it'll exactly. be, yeah, it'll be so heavy you can't lift it. And a, a good potting soil should be lightweight, you know, unless it's just rained in the little little moisture has gotten in there but otherwise it should be pretty lightweight when you pick it up and you can when you run your hands through it it's very light it's it's not like garden soil that holds together in a clump like when it's dry no it feels I don't know I love potting soil I have a thing for it so (laughs) I just kind of like running my hands through it in fact I was potting up some stuff today and I thought about how much I was enjoying it yeah, it's very soft. It's it's fun. My kids love to play in it, too. It's like, you know, a different form of Play-Doh, I guess. Gardener Play-Doh. <laughs> um, Gardener Play-Doh. Yeah. So if someone's starting out and they have their containers now and they have their soil and they're getting, they've, they've got an idea of where they're going to get their water, could you talk just a little bit about when they are watering their plants what should they do or how should they know when to water? Because I, I know a lot of the problems can come from either overwatering or underwatering. So it's hard when you're a beginner to know what's the right amount of water. How can you tell? Okay, if you're going to water with either a watering can or a hose and sprayer, first stick your finger down into the soil, probably without your gloves on. Stick it down in there and see if there if it feels moist but not sopping wet to the touch about an inch down. And then that's one way you can tell if your soil, if your potting soil is pulling away from your container, then you know it's way too dry. So that's another indication that you've got a problem. Plus drooping leaves would be a good indication. Although sometimes if you are overwatering like crazy or you've had a lot of rain, drooping leaves can mean it's overwatered. So that's a really good point, Dee. I want you to explain. So if someone's, if someone's plant is wilt, looking wilted, it, their first thought is, oh, I need to water it. But if they're overwatering and it looks wilted too, how can they tell the difference? Well, when they stick their finger down in the soil, it, it will feel way too wet. And also check the bottom of your plant. Don't buy those saucers that they sell at the nurseries or at the box stores because you for one thing the saucers trap moisture and another thing in some climates they can be a real mosquito trap too Mm -hmm. and in my particular climate we're really wet in the spring and fall and dry as a bone in summer so in the spring and fall I go out after each rain and I tip all my plants you know all of my pots to make sure that I've gotten all the excess water out of them 
because your plants can drown just like your plants can die of not getting any water at all. They're living organisms just like I'm a living organism and you're a living organism. So that's one way to tell. Primarily in my climate, when you really start to water in the summer, you have to water every day because if you miss one day, your plants are pretty sad. And I always water in the morning. And when I worked outside of my home, you know, I'm a writer, so I work from home now. But when I worked outside the home, I definitely watered every morning before I went to work. And then sometimes when it's a really hot day, I would come home and water at night too. Yeah. Now all my pots are under irrigation. I just go out there and check them. Yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. I, I have to do the same thing when I lived more inland. I had to water twice a day, sometimes on the really hot days. So uh, that's a good idea, though, to also tip over the pots just to make sure because they, they don't always drain really quickly. And that's a great way to, to check it out. So let's talk about fertilizers for a minute. I know when you're first starting to garden and you have this brand new container full of potting soil, there is usually some sort of nutrients in the soil when we first start. But at some point, they're probably going to need to fertilize whatever they're growing. And it can be a little intimidating. So uh, what are some things that we need to look for in a fertilizer if we're growing food? Well, when I grow food, I always pick an organic fertilizer and there's some really, there are lots of different types of organic fertilizers. You can go from making your own organic fertilizer, which is some, you know, some trouble, but a lot of people like to do it. And I used to do it a long time ago, but now on the market, there are a lot of good liquid organic fertilizers and there are also really good pelleted organic fertilizers. I keep stressing organic because if I'm going to eat something, I want it to be organic. Absolutely. Um, especially, especially if I'm growing it. I mean, the truth of the matter is you look on the back of those packages and you see the initials NPK. Okay. And MK, NPK, I think is very intimidating. So N stands for nitrogen and nitrogen just means it's the nutrient your plants need to have good green leaves and also for those leaves to grow. So the more nitrogen that you have, the greener your leaves are and the more growth you'll get, leafy growth on the plant. And then P is phosphorus and phosphorus helps roots and flowers to grow. And then the final one, potassium, it just helps your plant like with overall well-being. I like to think of it as a vitamin, like a vitamin B. Some things to think about on there is that when you look at chemical fertilizers, you might think they're better because maybe they have 10, 20, 10. Well, that, you know, those really high numbers don't always mean better. Organic fertilizers, they have lower numbers, but they're, they tend to be very readily available to the plant, but they don't over fertilize it. And one of our problems that we're facing in America all over is that our streams and rivers and our lakes get have problems with algae and other things because of the runoff of all of these fertilizers. And so, you know, when you're watering your pots, just go on and pick a good organic fertilizer. It doesn't matter that the numbers aren't super high. That is so true because the plant can only take in so much. So having super high numbers just means there's a lot of excess that runs right off and goes into the soil or into the groundwater or down the street if you're on cement. 
and goes into the sewage and into the drain systems. And so it ends up going down into our water or into other water sources. Like uh, I live at the beach, so it ends up going into the ocean. And that is really, it's kind of scary when you think about it. So all of these really high, you know, there's some fertilizers out there that are not organic and they'll say 25, 25, 25. And it's like the plant just isn't going to take that up. So most of it just runs right out and they're usually water soluble. So they just go right through and they aren't left where an organic fertilizer will sit there in the soil longer and and break down slowly and just give the plant what it needs when it needs it. It's a completely different kind of fertilizing. Right. It's a totally different method and it often comes from manure, um, chicken feathers. There are different there are different things, alfalfa, and these are all things that help also give your soil better tilth which is one of those gardener words, which means that it just is um, easier to run through your fingers and it doesn't clump together. And with potting soil, that's not as big a deal. But I just think anytime you give nutrients to a plant in a more natural way, it's better. But that's just my opinion. Someone else who's, you know, who thinks chemical fertilizers are it would disagree with me, but I just don't want to eat stuff with chemical fertilizer. No, I don't either. I I only use organic and I always recommend that if you're going to eat it, absolutely. And I think most of my listeners are all about being organic too, because they like to buy organic fruit and vegetables. So they want to eat that and that's what they want to grow. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, That's really good advice. Thanks, Dee. And now I wanted to ask you about a project that you had in the book. It was about doing a salad bowl. And I thought, first of all, that was a really (laughs) cute name to grow a salad bowl. And, you know, when we're first starting, we, we might want to start with seeds. They can be a little bit intimidating because if you've never grown seeds before, but they're actually really easy. And doing salad seeds, I think, would be a great place to start. So could you explain what the salad bowl project was? It doesn't get any easier, I'll be honest. I mean, in you know, starting with seeds, we think they look intimidating, but they're not. And all you all I did was I got this nice bowl-shaped container. It happened to be plastic but looked like terracotta. I put in my potting soil almost to the rim. It was about two inches below the rim. And then I wanted to make it in kind of a spiral shape. So I sprinkled the seeds and I also wanted red and green lettuce. So I sprinkled the seeds of the green lettuce first in a spiral all the way around. And then in between those, I put the red lettuce seeds. So when it was finished, the seeds looked both, it had a red stripe and a green stripe. And then before I, you know, at the end of it, I covered the seeds and the standard for seeds is that you always cover them with soil about twice the size of the seed. So, you know, lettuce seeds are really, really small. So I just barely covered them. And then it was about half an inch to an inch below the lip of the bowl. And then the potting soil was. And then I just watered it in. And after I watered it in, they sprouted. I thinned the seeds so that you had little plants. And then the little plants grew. And we harvested from that salad bowl all spring, which sounds, you know, it sounds almost impossible. But, you know, as soon as I cut off some lettuce or pulled some, there were some more that came up. So it was a fun project. It'd be a great project for kids. Yeah, absolutely. Great project for kids. Now, and explain what thinning means, because if someone's never grown before, they might not know what you mean by that. So what do you mean when you say you're doing thinning? Okay, so I placed the seed or sowed the seed, as we say. I sowed the seed pretty thickly. And so all of these tiny plants all came up at once. And when they were about an inch high, 
I started to pull out any plants that were in excess. And you need to look on the seed packet to see how far apart seed, the actual plants need to be. But lettuce plants can still be pretty crowded. So I thinned them to where they were about an inch and a half apart to two inches. And then I let them grow off and I would just chop off one and pull it out as they grew too. But their initial thinning was to about an inch and a half to two inches. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, because if you don't, they'll be so crowded they won't do well. But lettuce is so perfect because you can just pick out what you want. If, if you suddenly notice that there's two growing super close together, you can just pull one and eat it and leave the other one and, and still be doing great. Yeah, I thought that was really cute, but I love the title, Grow a Salad, salad Bowl. I thought that was really cute. So thanks. Yeah, that was that was fun. I did a lot of fun projects for the book. It made me really think outside the box. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, I really appreciate this, Dee. I think th these are all really, really good tips for someone just starting out. And it this way, they know that they can start with just something really simple like containers. And it doesn't have to be this major, massive project. So I'm going to have in the show notes, I'll have links to your blog and to the book. And I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving all this great information. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's fun to talk plants. So that was my interview with Dee Nash of Red Dirt Ramblings. I hope you got some really good information from that. If you're a beginner, it's a great place to start with containers. Now, in the show notes for this episode, I will have everything that we talked about all you have to do to get those links is go to livinghomegrown.com slash 69, and I will have all the links there. That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And until next time, just try to live a little more local, seasonal, and homegrown. Take care. That's all for this episode of the Living Homegrown Podcast. Visit livinghomegrown.com to download Teresa's free canning resource guide and find more tips on how to live farm fresh without the farm. Be sure to join Teresa Lowe next time on the Living Homegrown Podcast.